Welcome to the Mountain Bike Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Davidson, where it's my job to deconstruct the techniques, habits, and strategies of world-class mountain bikers so that you can discover how to shred with absolute confidence. We'll cover everything from breaking down exactly how you can ride faster with more control to reducing crashes and even how to transform your life with insights from the leaders of our sport. Whether you're a beginner getting started, an advanced rider hungry for an edge, or an elite rider competing to prolong your career, the Mountain Bike Movement Podcast has something for you. So get ready, let's drop in and go hit the trails. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Mountain Bike Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Davidson, where again, it's my job to deconstruct world-class performers, their habits, their thought processes so that you can ride faster and have more fun on the bike. We've got a really cool guest here today. Uh, I think he's currently in New Zealand. Is that right? Yeah. So Matt is a competitive mountain biker. He is a coach. He is someone who has pioneered some pretty cool ways of thinking about how to get better at mountain biking. And he's a really smart guy. And I kind of tracked him down when I heard that he actually founded a product because I think that's cool. And I basically just said, Hey man, you have to talk to me. And he was kind enough to give me some time and we got to know each other a little bit. So this episode is for people that really want to kind of understand the mind of someone who looks at the data and how to get faster through that process. So if you're interested in that, I think this episode will resonate with you because Matt has a wealth of knowledge. So let's have a fun conversation, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. All good. So tell us a little bit about your background in mountain biking and cycling in general, so we can get to know you. Yeah. So I grew up in the family bike shop in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. They actually just shut down. My dad was ready to move on. My granddad started it. They just shut down about last week, but I grew up there working there, building bikes when I was like 10 years old. And then I started racing. I was like pretty good up in the pro ranks, but I also kind of wasn't that good and I couldn't be consistent. So I wanted to learn more about mountain biking and about training. So I studied exercise science and I kind of never stopped studying exercise science. So I went all the way up to my PhD in exercise science. Somewhere along the way there, I started coaching mountain bikers. And one of my top athletes, Seamus Powell, won five USA national championships along the way. So I'm a data guy. So I was coaching him when I lived in New Zealand doing my PhD. And he had a power meter and heart rate monitor and a train peaks account. I felt like I was right there with him, coaching him. So he was really successful and I really enjoyed that. But this new sport of gravity racing, enduro, whatever you want to call it, people enjoying more going downhills and wanting to get better, Strava, whatever, there was no data I could look at to help anyone. So that's where I invented Brake Ace. So Brake Ace is a brake sensor that analyzes your braking for you and shows you where you can improve. And we just did a Kickstarter and the Kickstarter was successfully funded and we are going into production. That's fantastic. Tell me a little bit more. I mean, some people don't know how difficult it is to pull off a Kickstarter campaign and successfully fund it. So talk about that for just a second, because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I did a PhD and that was pretty big. And I was like, yeah, that was that was pretty hard. And then I did a Kickstarter and... Emotionally and mentally and everything just draining. It was me, just me doing it. And mm-hmm. you're getting a lot of messages, you're doing a lot of media, and you have these expectations. And people are bashing your product. Some people love it. 
it was extremely hard. With the people that were kind of bashing the product, did that fuel you or did you feel like that was the people you were out to prove wrong? I think they just didn't get it. Like (laughs) I got a lot of like negative comments on Facebook. Like I did a lot of Facebook ads, spent way too much money on them and they didn't bring anything, but they just obviously didn't click on what it was because they were saying things that were just clearly the opposite was stated inside the campaign. Mm -hmm. It's just really difficult to say, like to think like, how am I going to reach these people that are just, they obviously have no idea. It's interesting because, well, first of all, you know, if you get on Facebook and run ads, you're going to get the trolls. So, you know, that's one thing, but dude, it was a waste. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's super funny. Um, I've run some ads and I've got some ways to deal with those people in a nice way, but so, yeah, you told me about that and I was actually really helpful. Yeah. And so was it the thing about the loom video? Well, what you told me is like, you said, just comment back. Yeah. Right. Like these are haters. This one guy giving me the middle finger. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe they just really do want to help. And some did. <laughs> so they would, we would actually have like a bit of, no, no, actually it's this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was helpful. So yeah, thanks. Hey, no problem. Well, it's interesting. And, and for those of you that don't know it, it just helps the algorithm, even if you post a negative comment. So post positive comments when you see someone starting a new <laughs> mountain bike product. So good job on that. That's awesome. I I was curious too, we talked about this a little bit last time off the record, but I kind of wanted you to share how did your PhD directly impact Breakace? Because you've done research on some things. You know, What did you find? How did that directly make you think, hey, I should do this break thing? Well, so that was the whole point of my PhD. I moved to New Zealand because I had a bit of flexibility to do a PhD. And I could choose my own program of research and I wanted to do mountain biking. They were already doing mountain bike research at the uni. So I joined their team and I told them what I wanted to do was model the perfect performance. Like I had no idea how to do modeling. And the only thing we had to measure performance was a power meter. But I looked at this one model that worked on road cycling and you could say, well, they're this fit. They can sprint this hard. We can guess how much time they're going to take and we can be pretty close. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that with mountain biking. And then we found that when people are going downhill, it's just, they're so different between each other and they're not even pedaling. So one of the studies I did was if you coast down this hill or if you pedal all out and do like this race, which is faster and there were actually no difference in speed. So they were just wasting energy going downhill by sprinting. And then obviously something's going on with their brakes, right? Because that's the only other thing there. So we're like, yep, we got to measure the braking. We measured, so we we built a brake power meter. It was disgusting. It was heavy. It weighed like five kgs. We got it made for about 3,000 New Zealand dollars. And we had no idea what we were going to measure, what we were going to see. So that ended up becoming the topic of my PhD. What is this data? What does it mean? And where are the major differences between riders? So I should call you Dr. Brakes from now on. Or Dr. Speed. Yeah, uh, you can call me whatever we want. We're pretty laid back here in New Zealand. People just call me Matt. Yeah, I know. I'm just messing <laughs> with That's fascinating. So you spent basically $3,000 on an educated guess. How close did your guess of what that might be, like the data that you would get from this, how close was it to what ended up happening? We really had no idea. The only thing we knew was that we had to measure power. There had been some other systems that existed that measured brake pressure, which basically measures how hard you're squeezing the lever, but it doesn't really work when you're measuring braking because of 
kind of the different surfaces interacting with each other Mm -hmm. and the fact that you can squeeze the lever, get a lot of pressure and not be moving at all. So that's the only thing we knew. We had no idea what kind of numbers to expect. Like we were seeing peaks of like 10,000 Watts, which is crazy. Like if you pedaled at 10,000 Watts, you would destroy multiple chains, right? So it was nuts. We had no idea. Oh my goodness. So there's a distinction between pressure and power. What's curious about this is like no one else really thought that this was even important. And we're almost flooded with data right now. It's to the point where the consumer has, we've got integrated heart rate monitors and Apple watches, and there's multiple competitors that are all doing well in the space in the the data realm. And you almost can't get away from it, but nobody did anything with brakes. And that's 10 million mountain bikers in the world. We all have brakes. (laughs) It's crazy. I honestly, like, cause I've, started measuring brakes in 2015. I'm like, man, someone else is going to do this. Someone else is going to do this. I better hurry up. And no one's done it. It baffles me because it's so important. And even the brake companies though, they don't even really have a great idea of what's happening out on the trails. Now that they're buying brake ace, mm-hmm. they have a really good idea. So I think brakes are going to improve, but I don't know why no one did this before. Yeah. It's just one of those things that must've gotten overlooked. <laughs> like, well, no we got, all right so we can measure the shocks okay check so we got shock whiz right right um so that measures the shocks we got a power meter right mm-hmm. okay yeah let's measure that let's measure the tire pressure too okay we have tire whiz okay i think that's it yep we're done here let's move on to I don't... <laughs> well <laughs> it's just fun as, as i'm listening i'm really glad you didn't call it break whiz <laughs> Oh, yeah, that, it would be a cool name, yeah. but Breakcase sounds cool. Breakcase is cooler, <laughs> man. He did a good job on the name, yeah. so that's cool. <laughs> so the thought process was just pure curiosity and a little bit of luck and just, frankly, I mean, pure I luck. never would have thought of it, you know, and we do something that's a very different approach ourselves. And I love that. That gets me stoked to hear that how you think really was, hey, why is no one thinking about this? And I better hurry up before somebody knocks me out. Yeah. Well, don't forget, like, this is a really important point. Like it was very much the right place at the right time because it was my job to think about stuff, right? If you're working for a company, say company X, Shimano, whatever, Mm -hmm. it's your job to sell product. That was not my job. My job was just like, "Mm, okay. And then write about it. So no one else is really in that position. And then in the real world, it just doesn't happen. So even with the stuff that we're trying to do, help mountain bikers directly, like we got to work with people one-on-one. It's really difficult to then take a step back and be like, hmm, okay, what can I do next? Or how does this work? Mm -hmm. We just can't do it. We're not in that position. We got to help people. So, you know, that's where we are now, right? Is like, okay, we got to help people. Yeah. So when you think of your product, I mean, again, just not not the literal product market fit, but when you think of Break Ace, what gets you the most excited about knowing certain people will use it? Is it is it the companies and their development? Is it the end user who wants to be a better racer? Who gets you the most excited when you think, oh yeah, they're going to be using my stuff? Probably the average Joes because they have the most to gain. The pros get faster and we've shown that. So I've spent lots of time with the pros helping them get faster. And then those same strategies I can use that with an average Joe or anybody can use that with the average Joe and like they can get faster to a greater degree, mm-hmm. gain more time, gain more confidence. That is the most exciting. 
And if you look at our Kickstarter, that's the people that have mostly backed us. It's not mm-hmm. professionals. It's mostly guys that like racing probably, or they like going out on the weekends and going quick and they want to get quicker like us. Right. Yeah. So that's awesome. Okay. So I'm just curious, why is it the average Joe has so much more to gain than a pro? The pros are going like Aaron Gwynn when he goes and wins a world cup. He's already going like pretty much as fast as he can go. There's a little bit there and we can obviously work on strategies so he can be more consistent and things like that. But the average Joes are going a lot slower. So the distance and the time gap between them and Aaron Gwynn is huge. And they don't necessarily have to get as fast as Aaron Gwynn, but even getting 1% quicker would be a lot more time for them. Mm-hmm. And it's going to feel a lot better, a lot faster. Have you noticed any patterns looking at people's braking data? Like do people tend to use the front brake too much, the back brake too much, just brake too early, too late? Is there anything you see there? I mean, the patterns are as different as trails are different, but we do see a lot of things with brake balance. So front and rear brakes, and even on the same trail, we can take Mm -hmm. five or six people down and they're all really fast. And some of the fast guys will be about 50, 50 front and rear brakes. And some of the really fast guys will be like 90% rear. So the patterns, there's like no pattern there right? It's just, this is how I get down the trail. I would be really curious to see what the riding background is for the ones yeah. who use the, like the back brake only or 90%. I mean, the bike I've got behind me right now, this, I got a transition bank. It's got some new industry nine wheels on it. Mega shout out to I nine. Love you guys for making my world a happy place. <laughs> so this bike has just a rear brake on it. And yeah, I used to race our little downhill trails on a single brake, or I'd go, we'd go free riding in the woods with like a single brake hardtail. No <laughs> it was stupid. <laughs> um, but like maybe that could contribute to something like uh, yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I totally think so. Cause there's this World Cup guy, Eddie Masters, who mm-hmm. he's from New Zealand and he's top 10 World Cup. And he spent most of his time growing up riding just like that your bike, that dirt jumper. Mm-hmm. And he only had a rear brake and he got used to racing downhill with just a rear brake. And they did a little bit of data acquisition with uh, one of the brake companies. And he found that he was using the rear brake more than most people. The problem though, with the rear brake, if we can shift someone to using a little bit more front brake mm-hmm. is the front brake gets more grip, which means you can apply more pressure and get more power from the front brake, which means you can brake for less time to slow down mm-hmm. how you want. So when I was working on uh, my certification, we, I do a trainer certification every once in a while. And the thing they said was think about the front brake is the thing that slows you down. And the back brake is the thing that keeps you from going faster. Have you generally found that to be true from your perspective as well? That's spot on. Yeah. So if we really want to stop in a hurry, that's one of the things that we see. So one of the things that brake ace does is shows you your key opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that shows you where you can improve. So if it's say at a really tight turn and you need to slow down a lot, well, then if your brake balance is 90% rear, you need to shift to be able to brake, maybe not 90% front, but at least 50, 50 mm-hmm. to be able to slow down more quickly, which means you can go faster in between. So we don't really know that we don't have any idea, any way to know if we're using more front or rear brake, but that sounds spot on. Interesting. 
have you done any testing with, like, it sounds like maybe you've done some testing with Aaron Gwen or other people like that. So do they just break really hard, really quickly, very late ever? <laughs> because it just seems like they don't break at all. <laughs> nah, you know, it's crazy. So some of the World Cup racers, because one of the things I do is I export the data from Breakace and then overlay it with their GoPro. So I can see like where they are, they send them the videos, they can use it for training. And we spend, you know, we can spend a week doing this on one trail mm. and then trying to get them faster. Like, okay, where can we work on it? Where are your key opportunities? And I ride the trails as well. I'm the, it's just like, I can't believe that they are not breaking here. But then we look at like how they're breaking and when they're breaking, they're breaking hard. And it's also way less than me. Right. So they're definitely breaking. And when they're breaking, it's very hard, but there's also like sometimes where the average Joe would be breaking. Yeah. And these top riders are either jumping over it or breaking later or just breaking much harder and getting it done in half the time. Mm -hmm. One thing that I see a lot, at least well with me, actually, I've followed some World Cup racers. Sometimes they knew I was following them and sometimes they did not. And it didn't last very long in that case. <laughs> And what was really interesting is that not only do they not break, but they also seem to accelerate in areas where I would maybe play it safer. And so a lot of it is experience and mindset. And so I can imagine you know, what's so cool about what you do is that you're taking not only the data, but you're also coaching them and you're also giving them specific valuable feedback that's kind of tailored to the trail, to the situation. And you know, that's kind of what I was thinking earlier. You know, we're in this data age and I think it's fun for the average Joe, but you know, you were telling me something earlier. You said, Hey man, you know, if we give them this one coaching point from a break a session, they might save seven seconds on a trail and in a race, that's, that's just insane. And don't forget, it's not me telling them like a analyzing their data. It does it automatically. Mm -hmm. So they can be using this on their own. And then it kind of the next step is then is guys like us and girls like us who want to help coach them, right? So we can, then we can look at their data and then it becomes this power meter trainer kind of situation where, okay, I'm somewhere else in the world, but you upload your break ace file. Mm -hmm. I'll have a look at that. Maybe give me some videos and we'll help coach you with these skills that you can use to mm -hmm. get quicker on these key opportunities. Yeah. Speaking of that too, your comment earlier, we were talking about, you know, haters online. Right. And so yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing that I got a lot of when I was running ads to the mountain bike Academy was people would be like, yeah, you guys do anything in person. Oh, I'm, you know, I would never get anything out of anything, but an in-person clinic. And I just kind of smiled because I was like, we've literally done zero. <laughs> so yeah. what, what we found is that the reason why, at least for 99% of riders, I don't know if this applies to like in your case, it seems to be that even if they're a pro, you don't have to be in the room. What we found is that you do not need to be on the trail with people if you know how to extract value and information from the data. So that's why I think so few people have figured out how to maybe coach from afar. It's because either they don't know how to get the right information Maybe they don't know what they're doing um, in a few cases, I guess, but most coaches are good coaches. They just don't know how to extract the information. They don't know how to apply that information or they don't know how to deliver that information. So it seems like, I guess I'm just super intrigued as like how the, the app does it, <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Well, you know, 
I think this is kind of an important point, and we kind of hit on this mm-hmm. earlier, like where I had all this time to just think. And most mountain bike coaches or most trainers or any kind of coach is heavily one-on-one. And when you're one-on-one with someone, just like when you're having a really good conversation or you're working with any other client, you are flat out. Like you are 100% laser focused on helping that person. That's mentally exhausting. So you get home at the end of the day from doing one or two coaching sessions. Not only did you go out on your bike and you also rode, Mm -hmm. but you were laser sharp focused watching everything. You're exhausted at the end of the day. So you don't have time then at the end of the day to go on the internet and try and figure out how to communicate something. It's just wrong place at the right time or something like that, you know? So (laughs) there's just no way to then be able to take your your business model or your coaching approach, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. There's no way to then take that and feed it to the internet. It's just not possible Mm -hmm. because that takes also laser sharp focus and maybe more so, maybe there's a bit of fear around working with computers and things like that, Yeah, but it's going to happen. Shams March and I like, it's something that it took him a little bit of getting used to. He just has an insane amount of experience. So he was able to lean on that. And I come from the online world, you know, that I was a business coaching and I've had meetings where I've had 14 clients in a row with no breaks and it's like intense. So, you know, it's interesting that you're saying that, but probably like the most the thing where the where I see the industry going for the people that are up for the challenge is really just finding a way to help people with their riding because the bikes have gotten about as good as they're ever going to get. They had to invent e-bikes because <laughs> the, the mountain bikes are already so good. Yeah. Uh, they had to invent e-bikes uh, to get faster. And you, know, you can go out and spend three, four grand and get 90, 95% of what a pro would use. It's just amazing. The bikes are great. The industry is fantastic, even though it's hard to get a bike right now. And I think really the opportunity is how can more people learn to get the other stuff that isn't as good as their bike to catch up. And so I was kind of laughing at your tagline. It was, uh, what, what is it again? It's get faster without getting fitter. Yeah. And I'm over here, like helping people move, you know, off the bike properly through movement work well, it's with, a, with John. Yeah. It's <laughs> so ironic it's like, because I'm also yeah. a fitness coach. So it's yeah, it's super funny. <laughs> I loved it because it's a good marketing line. And I just think people should, you know, pay attention because it's true, you know, and anything that's true should hold its weight. But what if we did both? You know, what yes. if we got yes, exactly. faster without, yeah, get faster without getting fitter and, because really what, what you're talking about doing is improving the the skill on the bike. It's, yeah. you know, really just the function of moving your finger to pull the brake and maybe... Well, there's a lot of movement involved in it as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, expand on that. You know, what do you find you end up teaching people on or what do you find there? Okay. So you know how the pros will get around and they might break a lot less. Mm-hmm. We're never going to say to someone, break less, right? Because if you don't have the control or the movement skills to be able to get around the corner... Mm-hmm. and also break less, well, then you're going to end up not on the trail anymore. You're going to end up overshooting the corner. You're going to mm-hmm. blow through it and then break past the apex or something. Yeah. Break really. If we have to break hard and get around the turn fast, how do we slow down more quickly? Right. How do we mm-hmm. really get grip on it with our tires to be able to slow down really quickly? And that's where it comes to trying different approaches and skills coaches will have an approach for this to be able Mm -hmm. to slow down really quickly. Right. Yes. 
So what we do is we do fundamentals coaching. And so there's definitely, you know, here's a technique, here's the basics of how to do something. But what we do that's a little different is we'll actually look at the rider as a whole and diagnose based on where they are at with their skill level. Okay. What is the challenge that they're having or what's the reason why they aren't at the level they could be? So we diagnose holistically that way. And the way we do that is we look at how their body moves first off the bike. And what this allows us to do is to be able to tell this person, Hey, it's actually like you have the skill to do this, but your body can't keep up. Let's work on this movement exercise. The thing that I see the most is either people tend to focus more on like weightlifting and building strength, or they'll go and stretch, but they don't know how to move properly. And so this is why like 45 and 50 year olds, honestly, as low as we've seen it as low as like 30 year olds even struggle with this is that they feel more tired than they should, or their body doesn't work like it used to when they were a kid. And what we found is that even 50, 60, 65 year old riders, I haven't worked with anyone specifically that's older than 65 yet, but what we don't do is just focus on the skill itself. We make sure that their body can do that. And then we give, we give them moves to do off the bike, um, that literally program your motor control skills to work as a unit so that you don't feel like you're forcing it. So if you ever try a new skill and it just kind of feels mechanical or clunky, that's because you don't have a motor control skill built yet. So like when Neo learns Kung Fu in the matrix, he's uploaded an entire library to his brain of like, this is what you do in order to block, kick or punch. Right. So that's, we do a mixture of both of that. It kind of sounds a little weird at first, but it's literally the most fundamental thing that you could possibly do as a human. It's what children do when they experiment and play. We just teach adults how to do that. So their body works properly first. So that, that being said, like the short answer is, yeah, we have techniques, but a lot of times it, we just, we teach people how to move properly and then surprise, they suddenly know how to position their body better for breaking. <laughs> There's a natural innate talent and in, that we see in everyone. And, um, and honestly, Shams, he 100% focuses on pure skills coaching because that is what he specializes in. He literally wrote the curriculum for the IMBA and, you know, the NICA and all this other stuff. So he knows body position. He knows technique. He knows moves in and out on the bike. And then John, our movement practitioner, um, he, I think he actually has the same focus as you. He has a master's in exercise science. So he really does the, you know, let's get on the bike or sorry, let's get off the bike and teach our bodies how to move properly without having to do a bunch of boring, like workouts or stuff you hate. So yeah, it's a little different, but with what you do though, it's just kind of cool because we don't focus on anything like that, quite frankly. And I think it's really useful to have that data and the feedback. And we really appreciate you bringing a product to market that can help with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a synergy here, right? Cause it's not just breaking and it's not just movement and it's not just being fit. And it's not just like having a dope bike. Yeah. Like you bring all those things together and you make them work perfectly. Yeah. You have more fun. You stay safer you go quicker, mm -hmm. you whoop all your friends, right? That's yeah. what we all want anyway. Yeah. And uh, you, so, yes, as we move into the future, these things will all come together mm -hmm. and they'll all be working perfectly together on the internet 
out on the trails. Yeah. Then we're going to do VR crypto NFTs and we're all going <laughs> to implant our minds into a computer and then we'll ride bikes that way. I'm kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> <probably not laughs> I wouldn't. Maybe. Right. And that doesn't mean just because it sounds crazy doesn't mean it wouldn't be fun. Yeah. It's totally going to um, happen. I just don't know if I'm going to sign up for it. I'll be on the trails actually riding my you, bike. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be like a beta user no. of that, but uh, <laughs> No, yeah, it'll I'll let, happen. Like, I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Elon do his his um, neural link stuff, and and I'll I'll sign you up for giving me some good break data. How about that? Yeah, Deal? that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like it too, man. Well, cool stuff. We can go ahead and wrap up now, um, dude. It's been a joy chatting with you and Matt. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your expertise. We'll probably have to do this again sometime. And for any of you guys that want to learn more about Matt, what he does how he works, the product Breakace, uh, where's a good place for people to go? How can they follow you? They can follow Breakace on Instagram. I think mountain bikers mostly live on Instagram these days. So at Breakace or at MTBPHD. Cool. Or obviously online. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have that in the show notes below. Any words of wisdom or final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners today? You know, for every mountain bike product that comes out and every new crazy thing, there's some crazy passionate mountain biker behind it. So when you're on the internet, you know, keep that in mind. And also when you leave nasty comments, they probably don't care. So don't waste your time. Yes. Be encouraging. Have fun. Everyone stay safe out on the trails and we will see you next episode. Thanks. Hey everyone, this is Dave again. Thank you so much for listening in. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Share with your riding friends and follow us at mountainbikeacademy.com forward slash podcast. Also, if you love the show, help us help the riding community by leaving us a positive review. This allows more people to see, connect, get inspired, and it makes this world a better place to ride. Thanks so much for your help, and we'll see you on the next episode.